Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. Yeah, good morning, good morning. Um, I don't know how many of you um, could say that you've done um, this, but maybe you've been on a short road trip. Um, if you have that experience, you have that in the back of your mind, okay, a, a road trip, right? And so in college, I had the opportunity uh, one summer to play some baseball um, in California uh, with a couple friends, and so we loaded up in Kentucky. I was still living in Kentucky, and so we loaded up, and we road tripped across the country to California, and um, we went up, you know, it, it was awesome. Um, if you've done that, you, you can attest to that, but we road tripped across the country all the way, you know, almost from coast to coast, from one end to the other. And um, we had some valleys. Uh, we had uh, some plains. We drove through Kansas. If you drove through Kansas, you know what I'm talking about. We drove through the Rocky Mountains, right? So we went high, and then um, I abused my brakes coming down the Rocky Mountains. And so um, we made it to California and spent the summer out there. And before I even came home, my truck needed new brake pads. Right? And so my truck already needed new brake pads from a road trip to California. Before I could turn around and come back home, I had to get new brake pads replaced. And what I'm getting at is I, 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 wish, I wish that on a road trip, even on a coast-to-coast road trip, uh, a little road trip to California and back, right? I wish that there was a guarantee. I wish there was a promise that my car would not fail, right? That, that my car, that my brake, that, that everything would work fine, nothing would need to be fixed, Nothing would need to be replaced. I wouldn't need new brake pads. But that's not the case with cars, as many of you know. I have a quote here this morning from a man, maybe you've heard of him, his name was Billy Graham. And he said, from one end of the Bible to the other, God assures us that he will never go back on his promises. From one end of the Bible to the other, he has assured us that he will never go back on his promises. And so that's all I got today. Um, And some of y'all are like, yeah, that's all I need. Let's pray and go home. That's good with me. No, so this morning, I hope to invoke two things today as we open the word of God. I hope to invoke two things in you today, and that is adoration and anticipation. Adoration and anticipation. And so we pick up today in the second part of our series that began last week. If you missed last week, I strongly encourage you to go back to watch, to listen to Pastor Adrian's message from last week as we began this journey on the road to the cross. But we pick up today in our series, Road to the Cross. Last week, Pastor Adrian urged us, urged us to see that the road to the cross did not begin when Jesus showed up on the scene of humanity in this New Testament, in our scriptures. That's not when the road to the cross began, but that it began long before that. He showed us that it began in the Garden of Eden when the first sin took place and humanity and all of creation were broken. Because of the brokenness, because of the brokenness that sin brought into creation, humanity was separated from the oneness with God that we were created for. And that includes all of us. That includes all of us. 
The road to the cross started in the Garden of Eden, yes, and that road wound itself throughout the whole Old Testament story of the people of God. It wound itself as a promise, as covenants made by God to his people. And so today we're calling this message the promise. The promise. And there's four, there's four main Old Testament covenant promises that I want to briefly highlight this morning as we make our way on this road to the cross, journeying through the Old Testament. It's a huge disservice if we write off the Old Testament as irrelevant, uh, but we must open it up and allow it to unfold before us as we make our way towards the cross. And so four main Old Testament covenants, promises of God to his people. The first was in the beginning when God created. The pinnacle of his creation was named Adam and Eve. He made a covenant with all of creation, and then he put his image on mankind. He said, let us make mankind in our image. And so mankind became an image bearer of the creator. An image bearer of the creator that God had made. And then as we looked at last week in Genesis chapter 3, there was this brokenness that sin entered into humanity and the road to the cross began. All of creation was broken. The perfect relationship that we were created for with our creator was broken. But years later, God would choose a man and a people. And the man's name was Abram. And he would change his name to Abraham. And he he would make a covenant with Abraham. That was really interesting because it was a one-sided covenant. God said, I'm going to bless your name. And I'm going to make you a source of blessing to all nations. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He didn't say, Abraham, you must do this and then I'll do it. He just said, Abraham, I'm going to to covenant myself with you so that you can be a blessing to all nations, to all peoples. And the chosen. I don't know if you. I don't know if you've watched the chosen, a new series uh, um, about the life of Jesus. It, it's beautiful, but there's some flashbacks into the Old Testament. And to paint this picture of this covenant that God established with Abraham, so so many years ago. To paint this picture, I think the chosen does a beautiful job here. Um, take a look. <sighs> This is the spot, my sons. Shalom, my friend. I I don't know that word. It's something my family says. It's a greeting of peace. You won't find much of that here, I'm afraid. I'm Jacob. I'm Yassib. Yassib, I would offer you something to drink, but... As you can see, we have just begun work on our well. You bought this land from the sons of him. For only 100 kesida, can you believe it? I believe it every time the princes of this land cheat another foreigner. You will cost the day you pay that 100 kesita. And what do you think would have been a fair price? Zero kesita, zero goats, zero... I have 12 sons to work the land, and once we strike water... You will never strike water. Yes, the recent rain makes the land look lush, but... The underground river runs around the mountain, not up it. Our God takes care of us. This is Canaan. 
The gods are not nice here. <laughs> we won't be here that long. We are sojourners. Ah, and what are you looking for? A land our God promised my grandfather, Abraham. Your grandfather? You ever notice how the gods are always promising us things, but we never really see them happen? Sometimes it takes generations. Ah, <laughs> suit yourself. So what is this uh, god of yours called anyway? El Shaddai. I've never heard of him. Not many people have, but I think someday they will. You have no home? Where's your temple for this god? He has no temple. So where do you worship him? Build altars wherever we go. And you do not carry him with you? <laughs> no. There are no carved idols of him. So he's invisible? Yes. Well, usually. There was one time he broke my hip. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> I've heard enough. Of all the gods you could possibly choose from, you pick an invisible god whose promises take generations to come true, who, who makes you sojourn in strange places, and he broke your hip. That is a strange choice. <laughs> oh, immigrants. We didn't choose him. God chose a people, and he said that he would bless all nations through the lineage of Abraham. And so here we saw a picture portrayed um, of, of Jacob, one of Abraham's grandsons. And Jacob said he had 12 sons, and one of them, as you know, if, if you read your Old Testament, you'll know that one of them's name was Joseph. And he was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And God protected him, right? Because God had made a covenant and God stays true to his promises. But Joseph, after suffering there, he was raised to a position of power and ended up saving all of Egypt and all of the surrounding countries. And so he moved Jacob and all of his families into Egypt and they began to grow in number and the Lord blessed his people. But then one day another Pharaoh rose up who didn't know Joseph and he enslaved the Israelites. For years they were enslaved in Egypt until finally one day God said, I will remain true to my covenant, to my people. And he sent a man by the name of Moses. He sent a man by the name of Moses to rescue his people from Egypt. And Moses brought his people up out of Egypt into the wilderness to lead them to the promised land. The promised land that he had made to Abraham many generations earlier. And so in the wilderness, God reestablishes a covenant with his people, the Mosaic covenant with the nation of Israel. He reinstates them that the 12 tribes will be a kingdom of priests, a national family of God. And then he gives them the law on stone tablets. Maybe you know them as the Ten Commandments. There were more. But he wrote the law on tablets and said, I will be your God. Will you be my people? Commit yourself to my ways. But in the story of God, the people of God, they worship him, they love him, and then they turn and they worship the idols, the gods of the surrounding culture. They worship all of these other things other than God, and God becomes angry, and it's this back and forth of repentance and God forgiving and making his relationship right with his people, and then they turn their back on God again, and it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
They wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience before they're led into the promised land. And as the story of God's people continues, they want kings, and, and finally this king rises up by the name of David, and he is a man after God's own heart. And so God says, David, I'm going to covenant myself to you and to your lineage. He said, I will establish my throne through your lineage, and it will be established forever. It will be established forever, and he raises Israel to an international kingdom. So God covenants himself to his people. He makes promises time and time again to his people. And then after a long time, he sends prophets. Israel's turned their back on God once again. They're worshiping the gods that surround them. And a prophet rises up by the name of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, Isaiah declares this. He says, but now... But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Do not fear. He says, I've called you by name. You are mine, Israel. But when Isaiah spoke these words, that's a beautiful declaration, isn't it? When Isaiah spoke these words, Israel was rebelling against all that God had done and desired to do for them. They were worshiping idols. They had wandering hearts. Their hearts had turned callous towards sin. But God didn't turn away. He pursued them. He spoke love over them. He claimed them as his own. And it was spoken long before their repentance ever came long before their repentance ever came. And so our main passage today, we're opening up the word in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. That's where we're going to be at today. It'll be on the screen. You can turn there. You can click to your event in the Version app, whatever you want to do. But we're going to be in Jeremiah 31. And this is the word of the Lord for us today. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 A new prophet is speaking here, and his name is Jeremiah. God has sent another prophet to speak to his people once again. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Jeremiah is speaking to the people of God on God's behalf. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. God declares that he will remain faithful to his promises, declaring that he will make a new covenant, a new covenant with them. Even after time and time again, his people have failed to keep their commitment to him. They chase false gods and idols and all the things that could never ultimately satisfy or save them. But through his prophets, God has declared that his promises are not canceled. His promises are not canceled. This was the best news the people of Israel could have received. And that's why Jeremiah 31 is one of the most important passages in our Bible. It's quoted in its entirety. This passage we're reading here is quoted in its entirety in Hebrews chapter 8. This declaration from Jeremiah, it's interesting. 
It's interesting how God is, is relentless for what is his. This declaration from Jeremiah comes right before the people of God are exiled into Babylon. Right before they're exiled. So it's an important passage for the people of God. That one day, I will make a new covenant with the people. And then they're exiled. And years later, when they're allowed to return to Israel, right? Years later, they're allowed to return to Israel and they begin to rebuild the temple. The Shekinah glory, as they called it, the glory of the Almighty never seems really to return to the temple. It never seems to return again. And so for 400 plus years, they wait in silence for this new covenant that was promised long ago. They wait with anticipation for God to fulfill his promise. Verse 32. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So why would it not be like the Mosaic covenant? Why would it not be like it? Stay with me. There was a greater promise, a new covenant yet to come. This covenant would not be a written one, but a living one, not inscribed on stone or parchment, but embodied in a person. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. He says, I'm going to put my law in their innermost parts, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Under this new covenant, God's heart and purposes won't be external. They won't be written on stone tablets to be memorized and applied. They'll be internalized in the heart. You see, the moral law of love that God gives in the Old Testament, that hasn't changed. Only the method by which the people would receive and live it has changed. So in this new covenant, obedience will become natural, a reflection of love for God and not duty. And this is a reality This is a reality because under the new covenant, as we know on this side of the cross, when you are in Christ, he himself is in you. Colossians 1.27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is why this is a reality. And then he finishes, he finishes that statement with, I will be their God and they will be my people. This is the covenant formula that expresses God's relationship with his people both then and now for you and I. I will be their God and they will be my people. God demonstrates that his deepest desire is to be with his people. Is to be with his people. Author Jeff Bethke writes this. He says, the amazing thing about the story of God and his people in the Old Testament is that God doesn't snap his finger and say, fine, if you don't want me, then I don't want you. No, he certainly could have, but instead he kept promising He kept pursuing. He kept chasing. He longs to dwell with his people yesterday and today. Listen, we just sang about it. There will never be 
another God like you. This character trait of God, this character trait that we're talking about, runs counter to every culture and every religion and every God that has ever been established since the beginning of time. There is no other God like Jehovah, like Jesus, period, period. You want to know the difference between the claims of Christianity and every other religion and cult that has ever been established since the beginning of time? Here it is, a God who pursues his people, who does not stand far off, but who moves vulnerably close to his people. To be with them. And every move he makes, he gets a little more vulnerable. There is no other God like Jehovah. Period. Verse 34. No longer, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In this new covenant, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What a glorious promise. Hallelujah. What a glorious promise. He promises to forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. Now, these are the people that are about to be exiled because of their wickedness. But God has made a promise. There will be a day when a new covenant will be established. How will this be? The prophet Isaiah had declared in Isaiah 53 that there will be one who will come and he will be pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace will be upon him and by his wounds we will be healed. So God doesn't lay his plan out for his people, but they would have known that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. They were quite familiar with the sacrificial system. They would have known that this forgiveness must come at the expense of shed blood. You see, the temple sacrificial system of the Old Testament, and it's weird. It's weird, right? We read things in the Old Testament like that about the sacrifices and the temple regulations. Read Leviticus. It's weird, but you've got to look at it and see that the sacrificial system was always a signpost on the road to the cross. Oh, this is beautiful. The word of God is so beautiful. It was always a signpost on the road to the cross pointing to the greater temple and atoning sacrifice that was to come. It was never meant to be permanent. It was temporary, pointing to what was to come. God's promise that he would return to dwell with his people and be their God, forgiving the wickedness and remembering their sins no more was fulfilled in and through Jesus. You remember the four covenants that we talked about from the Old Testament? Jesus fulfilled the promise of them all. Isn't that wonderful? God made a covenant. He made a promise to the people, and the people seemed that they couldn't keep their commitment. They couldn't remain loyal. They they, they were back and forth, back and forth. And so God said, I'm going to send my son to be the fulfillment of every one of those promises. 
In the Adamic promise, he, Jesus, became the new Adam, making you and I into new creations. When we are in him, he set into motion the redemption of all of creation. In the Abrahamic covenant, Jesus fulfills the sworn promises of this covenant that all nations and people will be blessed. And now all are invited into the family of God. In the Mosaic covenant, in the Mosaic covenant which which was broken by the people of Israel, Jesus comes and he institutes a new Passover. See, no longer would the Passover be celebrated to remember the deliverance that God provided for his people from the cruel powers of Egypt. But now the Passover would be a remembrance of God's grace and deliverance from the cruel powers of sin and death. So Jesus surpasses the old Mosaic covenant and embodies the law of God in a life of obedient love. And in the Davidic covenant, the kingly covenant, Jesus restores and he transforms the Davidic covenant and establishes a throne that will rule forever. He is the king of kings. And so the Old Testament covenants demonstrate that from the time of the first sin, the time of the first sin that broke the relationship between God and humanity, that broke the relationship between God and you, God was preparing a way of rescue that would culminate on the cross in the inauguration of a new covenant. And this new covenant essentially is unbreakable. That's another way it's unlike the old Mosaic covenant that the people broke. And it's unbreakable because it's guaranteed by blood. But this covenant isn't guaranteed by the blood of a goat or a lamb or a bull. It's guaranteed by the blood of God himself through Jesus on the cross. And so today, whether you're in the room, whether you're listening online, wherever you're at, Today, you can have your sins forgiven. Because the blood was shed, you can have your sins forgiven and remembered no more. All of them, never to be remembered by God. But there's only one way that that would be possible. For God to remain faithful throughout generations all the way to the cross. Not for you to remain faithful, not for me to remain faithful. The people of God didn't remain faithful, but for God to remain faithful all the way to the cross. And now through repentance and faith, you are saved and given a new life. Just like Isaiah spoke over the people, God has spoken over your life in the past, and he speaks over it today. His promised plan of redemption has already been enacted in your life. Even before and or in the midst of your brokenness and your sinfulness and your circumstances, he was proclaiming over your life, I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. And Isaiah declared on behalf of the Lord, fear not. Fear not, you're not who you're going to be. Listen, fear not, God can redeem your choices and use them for good. Even the worst of your mistakes can be redeemed by this God. He can heal your heart 
and your body and your relationships. Fear not, you were made for more than what you've experienced so far. There is no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jesus. One commentator writes, the new covenant of Christ ends up fulfilling the old covenant in a way that surpasses the greatest hopes of ancient Israelites, even as it will exceed our own expectations. And here's the bottom line today. His faithfulness to the promise summons our adoration. His faithfulness summons our adoration, and his promise return stirs up our faith-filled anticipation. That's what it should do in us today, family. It should summon our adoration and stir up anticipation. His faithfulness claims our adoration, and his promise return creates our anticipation. You see, as you look through the Old Testament, it makes up most of, your, most of your Bible. Seeing God's persistent pursuit of his people throughout the Old Testament reminds us that he has been and continues to be faithful and merciful. His promises were not canceled then, and his promises are not canceled now. The cross, the cross declares emphatically that God's promises are not canceled, no matter what the world around you looks like. Do you believe that today? The Apostle Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. No matter how many he's made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, the so be it, the it is so, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What is to come? So what is the new covenant promise still to come for those in Jesus? What's the promise for those who love Jesus passionately? Revelations 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. Whew. God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? All the way to the end of the book. You see, when we began in the garden in Genesis, and we saw that the ideal state of creation would be that God would dwell with his people. Pastor Adrian showed us that literally in the beginning of creation, it says that God would walk in the cool of the day with Adam and talk with him. That's what we were created for. 
But since the fracturing of creation, from the first pages of our scripture, from the fracturing of creation, God has been moving towards his people to do one thing. The cross was necessary because he could not do this one thing the way that he created us to do it without the cross. He's been moving towards his people to do one thing, that is to dwell with us. Literally, in the beginning, he dwelt with his people in the garden. And then in the Old Testament, he tells them to build this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, and his presence resides there. And then later on, down the line, he says, build me a temple, and his Shekinah glory, his presence fills the temple. He's in the midst of his people. And then he becomes more vulnerable. He actually comes in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. John says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Literally. He came to dwell with us. And then when Jesus left, he said, no, it's going to be better. I'm going to send you my spirit. Now, you're going to be the temple. The spirit of God is going to live in you. And the promise to come is that we will dwell with him literally in that garden-like city one day for those who love him. Verse four of Revelation says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. We just sang about it, right? Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Listen, family, the Lord has spoken, and it is so. And you know what's exciting? The end of the story found in our scripture, it's not really the end. It's just a new beginning. If you're able, would you stand? Stand with me as we prepare to respond in worship today. There is no God like Jehovah, like Jesus. His faithfulness claims our adoration. His promised return creates our anticipation. And as Pastor Adrian began us last week, God finishes what he starts. He finishes what he starts. The work that he has begun in you will be carried on to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. You deserve all of our adoration and worship. And oh, how I look forward to the day when we will dwell with you and be your people the way that we were created for. Let it continually build up holy anticipation within us. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.